The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So good evening. Uh, so we're going to continue our romp through the Brahma Viharas, the divine abodes, <clears throat> the states of mind that the Buddha particularly recommended us to cultivate. So the last two weeks we had done uh, mudita, loving kindness, or unstoppable friendliness, which I said was kind of the baseline uh, quality of heart that we can develop of general well-wishing towards all that we meet, including ourselves. Then the second week we talked about compassion. So that's the quality of the heart that uh, arises when we encounter suffering of ourself or other. So connecting with uh, the experience of someone who's suffering. So this week we're moving into the third of the Brahma Viharas, uh, which is in Pali called Mudita. And the translation of it is sometimes called appreciative joy, sometimes called sympathetic joy, sometimes called unselfish joy. There's actually not a very good translation for it, which is partly a sign of what a rare quality it is. So it's basically being happy when you see someone else's happy. So enjoying someone else's success, delighting in someone else's uh, good fortune. So this is considered one of the more difficult Brahma Viharas to cultivate, actually. So general kindness, compassion, it's a little bit easier to wrap your your head around. So why is this? So what do we usually do when we see someone who is happy, encounter someone who's happy? I ask you, what are some common responses? Smile, smile, smile. yeah, smile is a mudita response. Yeah. What about other ones? Yeah. Maybe we ask them why they're happy. You ask them why they're happy? Yeah. <laughs> in a suspicious way or in a like just a, just curious, okay. Just curious why someone's happy. What's, yeah, oh, okay, right. What's made you so happy? How can I get some of that, right? Yeah, so noticing that, noticing that it's unusual and also wanting to connect that, wanting to have some of that ourselves, right? What else are uh, reactions? Something really great happens to someone. Joy. Joy. Immediately joy when you see other people happy. Joy, yes. Joy is actually the reaction of mudita also, right? So uh, other less skillful reactions, which I'm <laughs> sure this crowd <laughs> rarely comes upon, but uh, yeah, is that sometimes there's an experience of jealousy, right? So someone's had something happen to them um, that is really good, and they're very happy about it. And sometimes you think like, oh, I wish that happened to me. How come that person got that and not me, right? I wonder what they did that they got that, right? <laughs> They don't deserve it, right? Yeah, yeah. So somewhat less skillful inquiry than, uh, <laughs> you know, inquiry, but with a, like, uh, you shouldn't have that, I should have that, right? So jealousy or envy, right? Which comes from some uh, underlying delusion that there's kind of a limited supply of happiness in the world, right? So if this person has it, then they got some that I could have gotten, right? But now it's gone, so, you know, there's like a, this sense of uh, the finiteness of happiness, right? which is actually not true, of course, right? Happiness, like kindness, like compassion, these are infinite qualities. And all of these Brahma Viharas are called like these immeasurable qualities of heart, like can extend infinitely, right? So it's not a commodity like uh, 
gold or uh, newspapers or, you know, it's not a thing, right? Happiness is not a thing. Also, a sense of comparison sometimes can come up. Someone is happy or something. And sometimes that comparison comes from uh, even a judgment of why that person is happy about that, right? So someone's really happy about um, something that happened. Say their um, baseball team or their football team will be seasonal when it gets into the, world, the Super Bowl. <laughs> that's what it is, the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, if that's not your, your deal, then you might kind of judge them, like, oh, that's such a stupid thing to be happy about. Like, <laughs> people are suffering. Didn't they hear about the earthquake in Haiti? And they're so happy about the Super Bowl, people throwing a ball around, you know, right? So we judge someone else's happiness, right? So the truth is actually that happiness is uh, something that we can cultivate partly by learning to cultivate this quality of mudita, right? So if you think about happiness, like what are the different things that make people happy, right? And what is our usual recipe for happiness in our life? So the last week I had said, you know, the Buddha's path, the Buddha taught that it's about suffering and the end of suffering, right? So the more uh, asset-based articulation of that is it's about happiness and the path to happiness, right? So what's an obstacle to happiness and getting rid of that? And what are the things that actually cultivate happiness, right? What are the things that bring happiness? And as I said in the first week, this is actually um, the uh, wise effort, right? It is fourfold. It's about understanding what are the conditions that lead to the arising of skillful states, such as happiness, compassion, uh, loving kindness, uh, and trying to cultivate those conditions? And what are the conditions that lead to the arising of unskillful states, like cruelty, jealousy, uh, rage, right? And trying to avoid or let go of those conditions. So usually our recipe for happiness as human beings in the world is to... Uh, line up circumstances in a way that is pleasing to us. Right? So to uh, arrange a set of pleasant experiences, uh, usually sense experiences, so things that we like to see, taste, touch, smell, uh, experience, pleasant experiences of the mind also, right? uh, and then try to keep that going uh, forever. And then to uh, try to dodge any unpleasant experiences of the five senses, right? Um, and hope that we can avoid those forever. Right? So in a world in which everything is changing and also circumstances are largely out of our control, for example, the weather, right? Uh, this is not a very uh, successful strategy, right, in the long term. So you can certainly try to machinate circumstances so that temporarily they will be satisfying to you, right? But uh, usually what seems to happen is that they tend to uh, change, disintegrate, uh, deteriorate something, right? And yet we still keep uh, trying that, right? And it's kind of understandable if that's um, what we know in our life is just this endless set of sense experiences there's some stuff that we like, some stuff that we don't like. Let's move towards the stuff that we like and try to arrange that. Right? So in some ways it's kind of like amoeba-like, but on a more uh, somewhat seemingly sophisticated scale. Right? Right. So uh, when you think about it, there's actually some things that do lead to happiness in terms of the material world, right? Certainly. 
But you know, there's been studies done about what kinds of things actually lead to happiness. And now this, there's actually a like, like burgeoning field in the world is like happiness studies, right? Uh, psychological studies around happiness and so on. And um, I'm going to very unexpertly paraphrase uh, some of that. But it seems that, um, yes, people need enough to eat. People like to be warm and dry, right? But once you have kind of your basic needs met, the amount of increased happiness that you get from adding on to that uh, diminishes significantly, right? And in fact, after a while, when you get too much stuff, then you have so much time to worry about and take care of that stuff, right? That seems to be even a, it goes the other way, right? The curve goes down the other way. So this is not to mitigate the fact that, yes, you need to be well-fed and you need to be, uh, you know, feel relatively comfortable of body so on, but you know, as someone who lives in a one-bedroom apartment, uh, so much less happy than someone lives in a 25-bedroom house, right? Like, is those 24 bedrooms necessarily create 25 times more happiness, right? Not so much, right? Now, of course, in the American society, uh, our sort of capitalist economy, uh, the, the market-driven economy, is encouraging us all the time to get more stuff, right? Such that you will then be happy. And basically, like, all of advertising, it seems like, is oriented towards telling us, uh, do you feel any dissatisfaction? If you do, if you had this truck, everything would be okay, right? <laughs> or uh, if you took this pill, you don't even know what it does, right? <laughs> but if you had took the, get, get your doctor to prescribe this pill, then you'll be as happy as these people, right? Um, there's a joke about a, a little boy who uh, comes to his mom and says, um, Mom, I would, you know what I'd like for my birthday? I'd really like some tampons. Right? <laughs> and the mom says, well, why do you want tampons? And uh, he said, do you know what those are? And he says, I don't know what they are, but I know that when you have them, you can go horseback riding, you can go swimming, <laughs> and you can go skiing, and it seems good. So, <laughs> Right. So there's some version of this that gets pitched all the time. So yes, like if you only had this, then um, you would be happy, right? Uh, but actually, we, do, we also draw meaning from uh, having connection with others, right? Uh, there are other sources of happiness, right? And there are other ways of orienting yourself such that you can be more happy, right? And this is part of the, the Buddhist path, too, is understanding that yeah, there's some circumstances that will make us happy, but there's a large part of our happiness that actually is able to be cultivated, that is actually, we can actually take some responsibility for orienting ourselves in that direction, right? Uh, and it's, a, it's an activity of the mind, really, right? So this is countercultural uh, in this society, although you, know, you may have heard that in Bhutan, um, they have a, a measure for the society which is called Gross National Happiness, GNH, right? Uh, which actually the King uh, instituted in 1972, right? So, you know, gross national product about money, right? So why have money? So money in order to make you yourself happy, right? To be happy, to be safe, to be healthy, right? So it's like cut to the chase, let's just measure gross national happiness, right? Which seems like a good idea, right? So we talked about some of the opposite of uh, happiness, like the jealousy, the comparison, uh, sometimes a sense of um, withdrawal if you see someone else uh, who's happy, right? So it's kind of a shift to orienting yourself towards understanding that you can actually gain happiness from whatever kind of happiness someone else has, whatever it is that they're happy about, right? So to cultivate this, um, you can practice with uh, someone who it's really easy for you to be happy for, right? And it can be a very simple uh, thing that they're happy about. In fact, the simpler, the better, right? So sometimes uh, 
small children are good uh, subjects for this, or dogs are very good subjects for this because they wag their tails. So it's very visible when they're happy about something, right? So just notice next time that you see someone who's very happy, who's someone who you feel like you can connect with. Uh, just notice that and allow your heart to open to that experience of their happiness. Right? And it's, just a, it's such a simple thing. It doesn't take a lot of sophistication or intelligence or um, you know, expertise. It's just allowing yourself to open to that experience of joy that that other individual is uh, experiencing. Right? And you don't have to like what that has been the cause for that happiness, right? So dogs are happy, you know, when they find food on the ground, right? Or something like that. So it's likely not something that you would be excited to find, but it's made the dog happy. You can see it wagging his tail, like, oh, look how happy he is. Like, oh, that's so nice, right? Um, or little kids, like, oh, look how happy they are, right? Even if it's something finite, it's like, oh, look how happy they are that they got ice cream. Like, oh, that's nice. Look at the joy, right? So just simply connecting with that. Uh, the uh, The recommendation around this is also that if you do that, you actually increases your own chance for happiness by six billion times, right? Because it's not just when I'm, something good happens to me, am I happy, but actually when anyone I see is happy, I can connect with that happiness, right? So that increases my chance for happiness. Because sometimes good things happen to us, sometimes things that are unpleasant happen, happen to us, right? Uh, it's always going to be like that. It's always going to be a mixed bag, right? Uh, but if we can try to connect with happiness that's there in the world, then that can support our own cultivation of that quality uh, in our heart, in our mind. Now with each of these uh, Brahma-viharas, there's something that's called the far enemy, sort of the opposite. Uh, so for the kindness, it's like hatred, right? For compassion, it was cruelty, right? For this one, for mudita, this appreciative joy, it is like the jealousy, envy, right? Uh, and then there's something called the near enemy, which is something that seems close to it, but is not actually that. Right? So you can kind of be fooled by that. So for the, the loving kindness, it's actually love with attachment. Right? With compassion, the near enemy is pity. Right? So it's kind of that, that sensation but of compassion, but actually with a sense of separation. So basically the near enemy for these are usually the state that's like that, but that includes a sense of separation or attachment. So it's basically uh, that state, but it's not actually immeasurable. It's based on this idea that we are all separate, and here's me and here's you. And once there's that duality, then either I can attach to and want that, right, glom onto, and have to defend that, or I can push you away and we're separate. So with the uh, sense of happiness, so there's, there's a couple of different flavors that are, can be described as the near enemy. So one is when there's a sort of exuberance. So when it gets so giddy, so it's happiness, but it gets so giddy that you're actually disconnected from others, right? So you just kind of become self-absorbed in that without seeing the effect of that, uh, that state of mind or the way you're behaving from it on others, right? So uh, exuberance beyond the sense of the connection, right? Another is if there's a sense of happiness from something that's happened for someone else, but it actually is because of some attachment, right? So someone you know has won the lottery, right? And you're very happy for them, but it's kind of because you think something's going to accrue to you, right? <laughs> like maybe they'll get you better gifts now, or you know, maybe they'll give you their old car because they'll get a new car or something, right? So there's that sense of attachment, like, oh, that's great, but there's something in it for me. Here's me, here's them, right? 
it's interesting to look at where it's easy for us to cultivate this uh, sense of appreciative joy and where it's not. Right? So usually we have, uh, as human beings, sort of a, a group of people who we consider sort of our people. Right? So this is our family, these are my friends, these are my neighbors, this is kind of my team. Right? And then everyone else is on the other team. Right? Or maybe there's three teams. There might be the sort of neutral team, that which you ignore, right? And then there's the uh, opposing team, you know, sort of enemy team, right? And then if something happens to someone on my team, I can be really happy for them, right? Usually, but you know, sometimes people flip sides, right, a little bit, right? Uh, if something happens to someone on the opposing team, then I feel jealousy or hatred towards them, right? If something happy, happy happens to someone on the neutral team, then I'll ignore them, because what's it to me, right? So just notice this, like where's the boundaries of who's in, inside and who's outside, right? And how does that sense of the boundaries of who's in and who's out uh, actually cause us to uh, create suffering uh, versus cultivate happiness in our hearts and minds, right? And you see this on a national level, uh, for sure, in terms of like wars, right? It's like who's in our team and who's on the other team, right? Or uh, I feel like you see this in society even around... Uh, like race and oppression. It's like who's, in, who's in inside and who's outside, right? So you no- notice like, uh, sometimes you see that there's like a kid who's been missing, right, on the news. Uh, and I think I can say every single time I've seen this, it's like a very cute looking white uh, Caucasian child who's missing, right? Uh, and then there's like a whole search and you know, teams of people go out, right? So do young children of color never go missing? Like, no, I don't think that's true, right? <laughs> but it seems like that doesn't get the same sort of attention in a certain way, right? Who's the sympathetic sort of victim in this case? I remember reading the uh, issue, there's an issue of People magazine that was, uh, came out on the anniversary of the um, Oklahoma City bombings, uh, you know, which happened some time ago. And in this magazine, they, they gave a little profile of each person who had died in the uh, bombing and then sort of their story and um, you know a lot about their life. It just sort of fleshed out who that person was and so on. I think around this time we were bombing uh, Iraq also, right? And it just struck me as like, oh, you know, this, this sense of like who's in and who's out, like who actually has a story that's sympathetic to us, right? Whose life is worthy of that attention and sympathy and whose life is not, who's just a number, right? Like who's just like victim 58, in uh, Oakland, killed this year, right? Versus who's like, oh, he was a scuba diver and he had a rabbit and, you know, like whatever things that make that, it's like, oh, of course, I care about that person, right? So just to notice these ways in which we build these separations, right? Which can be based on all these different things, race and nationality and, uh, you know, who's inside, who's outside, right? And society sort of reinforces those as well. So some other practices that you can do to cultivate this sense of joy. Uh, so a certain amount of it is sort of like, you know, people certainly not seem to have sort of a happy temperament or not, right? You know, people who seem naturally more happy or not. Um, and then sometimes circumstances are um, more given towards happiness or not, right? But there always is a way in which you can uh, orient yourself towards noticing things that are going to make you happy or that do make you happy in your life. Now, as humans, it seems like our orientation is often to notice something when it's new, right? And then to start losing track of it, right? 
So you can see this even when you get some really good food or something. Like sometimes you take the first bite of it and you really experience it and taste it, and it's so good, right? And then after a couple more bites, it's just kind of like what it is, right? You know, like it's just cold or whatever. It's not like this amazing ice cream anymore, right? Unless you really focus attention, right, and being present with it, right? And this seems to be true with a lot of things, right? Like something really good happens, or, you know, we have this idea, like, oh, when, when this happens, I'll be happy. And that happens, and then we are happy for a little while, but then we get used to it, right? And then that sense of happiness from that starts to fade, right? Or usually you don't notice the things that are good and okay until they depart, right? So we take people for granted in our lives, right, until uh, they pass away, right? We take our own health for granted. There's so many different aspects of our health that are actually uh, relatively going well, right? But usually we only notice the things that are going wrong, right? So our eyesight, right? Can we take for granted, take that for granted, right? But if you were blind, you would notice that, right? That would be a big deal for you. That would be a big impact on your life, right? And then uh, you would feel that. You would regret, you know, what happened. You would think about it a lot. But how often do we actually appreciate the fact that we can see if you can see, right? Or that you can breathe, right? Uh, or whatever it is, right? So cultivating this practice of gratitude and appreciation in our life is one way to orient towards uh, things that are uh, conducive towards happiness, right? So some people take this up as a practice where they say, you know, I'm going to reflect on, in the beginning of the day, like three things that I'm grateful for in my life, right? And at the end of the day, I'm going to reflect on three things that I'm grateful for that happened during the day. And some people have like even gratitude buddies who decide, before I go to sleep, I'm going to email my three things to uh, everyone. Right? Uh, some people seem to be doing this online and they're social networking now too. Like they send out, you know, these three things, that good things that happened to me today. Right? So noticing and cultivating those things, right? So when you do this, it doesn't mean glossing over the bad things that happen, right? So it doesn't mean pretending that the things that are painful or the losses in your life didn't happen, right? But allowing yourself to see that that's not all there is, right? Like that's not all there is. And orienting towards also seeing the positive and connecting with that. Right? Another thing you can do is actually to uh, cultivate this sense of appreciation uh, for people, right? For people, including yourself. Right? So actually to uh, focus on what are your positive qualities, right? So what are some of the uh, ways in which you interacted during the day that you feel happy about, feel good about, right? And all of us have these. And sometimes we notice them and sometimes we gloss over them again and focus on the stuff that we messed up today, right? And spend a lot of time flagellating ourselves for that, right? Or similarly with people who are friends or uh, close to us, right? So sometimes we can spend a lot of time focused on what they did wrong to us or their flaws, right? And not actually spend time appreciating what their positive, uh, wholesome qualities are, right? We also oftentimes assume, like, oh yeah, they know that I love them, or, you know, they know I think that they're generous, or they know they have a good sense of humor, I don't need to tell them, right? But is that really true, right? So it's such a gift to give someone that kind of appreciation, and there's so many days in which that can make a huge difference in someone's life, right? Just getting a very simple appreciation for some quality that you see in them helping them to connect and appreciate that, and also helping them to continue to cultivate that, right? So that's the gift of attention also. It's like, 
oh, look, someone noticed, like someone is paying attention, right? And someone is giving me that gift. So that way you also become this beacon of happiness. So you are cultivating happiness by noticing positive qualities in others. And then through the expression, right? Through this gratitude and through generosity uh, is also something that will also lead to happiness. So you can do this as a practice also. Uh, both, you know, as I suggested, seeing people who are happy and allowing yourself to connect to that. The meditation practice is similar to the uh, ones that we had done before of metta or of karuna, compassion, in which you choose a subject, right? And this is also like a concentration practice. You choose a subject, and in this case, uh, you choose someone who it's easy for you to be happy for, right? So someone who is happy about something, right? And often like a good friend or uh, someone you care about is a good subject, right? And you pick a phrase uh, that helps you to connect to that sense of well-wishing for them. Uh, the well-wishing that recognizes that they're happy, right? So it could be something like, um, may your happiness continue, right? May your good fortune increase. May you always be happy, right? And just connect to the heart and connect to that sense of them being happy, right? And then you're on the mudita train there, right? So just continuing to say that phrase, connect with that intention of that appreciation of happiness, right? Keep coming back to that, right, repeatedly. If you notice your mind wandering, you know, bring it back again and just connect again with that phrase, right? So very simple, like that. So like with the metta and compassion, you start where it's easiest. So this is someone who it's really easy for you to be happy for naturally, right? And as that gets going, then you can sort of increase and uh, move into categories that might be harder, right? So what happens if uh, someone who is sort of a neutral person is happy about something? Right. So what happens if you pass someone in the street? You don't know them, you don't know what they're happy about, right? And, uh, but they seem happy. So can I actually connect with that? Right? So they're not someone on my team in some ways, but can I actually connect and be happy for them, regardless of what it was that happened to them? Right? Then, of course, you can go into the category of the difficult person, right? So that's the more advanced uh, practice is, can I actually be happy for someone who I don't like right? when something good happens to them? So why, why would you be happy for someone who you don't like, right, when something happy, good happens to them? So usually you think like, oh, I want bad things to happen to my enemies, right? right? They should suffer because they've caused me suffering, or, you know. So it's good to reflect on that and notice like, well, what does that, cultivating that quality do for me, right? What does cultivating that quality of like wanting people to suffer, right, do for me? Or what does taking joy in someone else's suffering do for me? Right? Like it's actually a form of cruelty, right? Like, oh good, you got yours, right? Sometimes the, the, um, in the cultivation of uh, equanimity or reflection on karma, you know, people can veer into this, right? Oh good, it's coming around to you, there you go, you know, <laughs> right? So that is not the <laughs> mudita that we're going for, right? So it's good to notice that, right? Like notice that quality as it arises. And notice this is where it's like to pay attention to what comes up in your heart, right? And to try to see what's skillful, let go of the unskillful. So someone who you don't like, right, who's annoying to you in some ways, right, sometimes helps to reflect on like, well, what is it that makes them annoying to me, right? And usually when you get down to it, it's that they're behaving in some way that I feel like is harmful to me, right? Or that comes from this, comes from their delusion that they're separate from other people, right? It comes often from their own unhappiness, right? 
So their bad behavior in the world, their unskillful behavior, the way that they speak, if they have a bad temper or whatever, usually doesn't come from happiness, right? If they were incredibly happy, like would they really have such a bad temper, right? No, right? If they were incredibly happy and contented in their life, would they be stealing stuff, right? No, right? Uh, would they be violent, right? No, really. So in this way, even uh, because you see that this person is doing unskillful behavior, it's good to take joy in their happiness. Right? That happiness will actually cause them to both be happy themselves, but also lead to more skillful behavior. Right? And more harmonious behavior for themselves and in terms of other people. Right? So even just in terms of that sort of like pure motivation of like, oh, I want them to suffer. That suffering will lead to more suffering. Right? If they suffer more, they're going to b- behave in a more difficult way. Right? The same way like when we suffer, like we might act out more. So wishing someone ill who is a difficult person is not also a good recipe for anyone's happiness, even though that might come up sometimes. So the sense that that these qualities, happiness, love, they're actually self-generating and actually replenishing, right? So we can kind of infect each other with these positive qualities. You know, you can allow yourself sort of to be open to being infected by happiness of whoever you're around, right? It's kind of like, like opening your heart for that, you know, oh, like the wagging tail of the dog. You know, allow that to, be in, to infect me with the happiness, right? Like the little kid who's skipping down the street for no good reason, right? But allow myself to be infected by that happiness, right? Uh, two people who are laughing uh, as they're walking down the street. Don't know what it's about, but allow myself to be infected by that. Uh, people who we know, like something good happening, someone getting a job, right? Even if you yourself don't have a job and you're looking for one, when something good happens to someone else like that, allowing yourself to be, to connect to that, right? Be infected by that happiness, right? So it requires also a letting go of self-absorption, right? So usually our state is like, well, okay, you got a job, but what about me? Like, what about my employment, right? So we have to let go of that for a moment. Like, let go and just purely connect with the happiness of that other person, and be willing to be there in that uh, state with them. So as we cultivate this quality then, we become more secure in our own happiness. And we realize that the source of happiness doesn't have to be only from pleasant things happening to us. So we can certainly be happy when good things happen to us. But we also can cultivate this regardless of the circumstances of our life. So that actually gives us a much more steady base for happiness in our life and a much greater sense that uh, happiness is not something that's reliant on what happens at the whims of circumstance, what happens because someone says something I like or don't like, right? what happens because of the weather. Right? And we can rest in that, like we can rest in that sense of well-being. Right? So like with the um, loving-kindness, there's actually many different flavors to the happiness, right? Or joy. So you don't have to look for some like, uh, you know, fireworks-like joy, right? So sometimes that's there. Sometimes you feel like wagging your tail, right? If you had a tail, right? But sometimes it's just a sense of contentment. So it can actually be sort of a quieter, kind of more mellow, uh, low-key happiness, right? And it can be sort of anything in between there. So just as you know many different people, and you can reflect on like, oh, when they're happy, this is the sort of energetic hit I get from them, right? Or when this person is happy, this is what I get from them, right? And it's a, it can be like a slightly different flavor of that, right? So all, we can be open to all those different kinds of happiness, right? 
And then the way we manifest it also is unique too. So based on who we are and where we are in our life and our own energy. So not to be fooled by like, oh, well, that person is really, really happy. And even though I'm feeling happy, like, mm, I'm not sure if it's, you know, they laugh a lot louder than me, right? Or, uh, you know, they smile a lot more than me, right? So part of this whole path is this path of awareness, mindfulness, of becoming really aware of like, well, what is this, what is this state, happiness? Right? What is joy? Becoming connected to the heart, becoming more and more aware of when is the state here in me? Right? What does it feel like? What does it feel like in my body? What does it feel like in my mind? What does it feel like in my heart? Right? And being able to recognize that more and more. So don't take for granted even tiny things that make you happy. Right? So sometimes if uh, you know, it's been raining and raining and just like a little sunlight breaks out, you're like, oh, right? for a moment. Then it starts raining again, as it did today. Right? But just you know, recognize that moment of like, oh, you know. So maybe you wouldn't, you know, uh, write a letter about it or something, but still, you know, it's that moment of happiness, right? Or any little thing, you know, someone smiles at you, someone holds the door for you, right? It's like, oh, feel your heart being happy about that. Okay, that's, that's good, that's happiness, right? So become familiar with that uh, state, right, of happiness. And with this, with all of these um, states of heart and mind, it's really like learning how to read in some ways. So how do we know which states are skillful and unskillful? And what do we know are the conditions that lead to that or not, right? So the first, first part is actually just learning how to read, in some ways, the energies and the experiences that come through our, our life. So I spent some time in uh, Sri Lanka, where my family is originally from, and uh, at that time I knew how to speak pretty well, but I couldn't uh, read very well. And when I was first there, I would, uh, was spending time going to some monasteries in different places, and um, I was taking the buses around, right? But because I couldn't read very well, it was a little dicey knowing which bus to get on, right? So I would be standing at the um, bus stop, and a bus would come, and um, there the language is sort of phonetic, so each letter is like a, a kind of a consonant and a vowel together, so it's like ka or ka or ki or something like that. So the bus would be coming and I'd be trying to read, like, nu, wa, boom, and the bus would be gone, right? <laughs> so I couldn't figure out, should I flag down that bus? Should I, you know, if it would, like... So the next one would come, like, ka, ra, right, gone, right? So then I'd start, you know, try and guess based on the first letter, is this the bus I want or not? You know, I'd flag it down, get on, and then... <laughs> hopefully go to the right place, but sometimes figure out, while I was on the bus, read the rest of the sign and have to get off and, you know, go back or something like that, right? But then after a while, you know, I got better at, the, at reading. And so then I could tell, okay, you know, as the bus was coming, I would read faster. And then I'd know, do I want to get on this bus or do I not want to get on this bus? Is this a bus I want to flag? Is this not a bus I want to flag, right? So in that way, I figured out what buses to get on that took me to the places I wanted to go, right? So similarly, these different states of heart mind arise, different energies arise in our life, and we're learning to read them. So what is jealousy, right? What is happiness? Which of these states leads towards freedom from suffering, right? Freedom from fear. And which of these lead in the other direction, right? So someone you don't like, something good happens to them. A state that arises might be jealousy or hatred. Oh, is this a good bus or not a good bus, right? Is this the bus I want to be on or not, right? So learning how to read that, right? Because it's all different. It's all a mixed bag, you know, our hearts. All different things are coming through. 
So learning more and more to read, like, well, what is this? And is this something that I want to be on? Is this the, is this the bus, train, airplane I want to be on, right? Uh, and then as you learn to do that more and more, you get on less of the buses, trains going to the wrong places. And then as you do that more and more, you stop running the bus lines to the bad places, right? No one's getting on. Why should you keep running though, right? So letting go of that. So those are some reflections on happiness for you. So I offer those uh, and see if there's any questions or comments people have about that, about your own practice of cultivating happiness or your own experiences with mudita. Questions, reflections. I have a question about the bus analogy, actually. Yeah. So I was thinking about it, and from a certain standpoint, or there's a belief that you can't actually control some of the feelings that come up. Yeah. So if you don't have control of the bad feelings come up, how do you, to use the bus analogy, not get on the bus, yeah. but still actually acknowledge and be aware of what you're feeling instead of denying it? Like, what's that... Yes. Sort of like, how do you walk that line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a very good question. So I think the first, state is, first thing is to recognize. So you do have to meet that with mindfulness, right? So the first step in any of the, that analogy or in, in wise effort is to know what it is that's arisen, right? So basically to recognize like, oh, here's the bus to hell, right? So that's for this, right? <laughs> hell, like read it, right? <laughs> and not pretend like, oh, buses to hell don't go through my bus station, right? That's not part of my repertoire. It's like, you have to really be honest with yourself. Like, oh, okay. Like, here is the, uh, like, maniacal rage bus. This is what it is, right? And this is what it feels like. And I know this is that bus because here's what it feels like, right? So you do have to recognize this is what this is, right? And then as you recognize that, then there has to be also some reflection on, like, is this skillful, unskillful, right? Like, does this feel like it's leading towards suffering or away from suffering? And at first we might not know, right? There's, there's things that are confusing about, you know, like, oh, I'm not sure, right? So then you just have to pay attention, right? Like you have to pay attention to what is happening in the moment, like what's happening as that state deepens. What are the thoughts that arise from that? Are these thoughts uh, leading towards a sense of happiness, well-being, harmony, right, for myself and others? Uh, the actions that come from that state of mind, right? So what actions is this prompting me to take? And are those uh, actions that are skillful and skillful, right? So it's all really an exploration for us. It's like, you know, there's this sort of uh, map that the Buddha has laid out about this and that, but we all really need to work it out on our own, you know, paying attention to what it is that arises, right? The arisings uh, also are, in fact, uh, you know, from past causes and conditions of what we've cultivated in our life, right? So what arises in the moment uh, at this moment, like you can't, you can't really uh, change, but something can arise in the moment, and then if you can see it clearly, you have some choice about how you want to respond to that, right? So do I want to sort of cultivate that along, like throw fuel on that, right? Uh, or do I, do I see like, oh, this is difficult, like I want to let go of it, right? Now there's a whole section, <laughs> subsection of this in which there's something that arises that you see is unskillful, right? Uh, and yet you're like on that still, right? So that's like, yeah, you're on the bus, you're on the bus. Like, get me off the jealousy bus. I know this is going to a place I don't want to go, but here I am on it, right? So th it's good to have compassion for oneself that like, this is a big part of the process, really, is like knowing we're on the wrong bus and then you know, 
uh, trying to deal with that as best we can. So how can you deal with that? So is, then the inquiry is interesting. It's like, well, why, why am I on this bus, right? So like, what, what is it about this bus that's appealing to me? So among the things to pay attention to is, is there actually like something pleasant about this? Right? So sometimes, for example, with um, rage or revenge, right? So we know like, oh, revenge is not, uh, you know, that, that doesn't seem like a skillful thing to be engaged in. Or, uh, yeah, kind of real anger about something. But there is actually something like kind of pleasant about the power that that amount of energy uh, can feel like, right? So then it, there's sometimes a more subtle uh, investigation that has to happen of, um, and one place to look is about that sense of separation or connection, you know, from that state, right? Uh, also, like, you have to ask yourself very honestly, like, is this suffering in some way? Like, is this stressful? Is this strain? Is this uh, difficult, right? And it can be both, like with anger or something like that, there can be some seeming pleasantness from the power, the surge of energy from it, right? Uh, but also there can be uh, this sense of disconnection and destruction, right, aversion that comes from it. So it's kind of only by feeling that out, like experientially feeling that, that we start to know, like, well, what's what here, right? And to recognize, like, well, a lot of the practice, a lot of the time, can be that, like, we're on the wrong bus, so there's like, you're on the wrong bus and you don't know you're on the wrong bus and suddenly you wake up in some desolate wasteland, right? <laughs> but then there also is like, you're on the wrong bus and you know you're on the wrong bus but you can't find the exit, right? <laughs> like, like, you don't know how to get off, where's the cord, you know, there's things to pull, it seems to be broken, right? Like, get me out, you know. So then it's just like, you do the best you can, pay attention to the experience of it, reflect on what's going on, and then see, like, okay, so here I'm on this bus, like, let's see what this is. See if you can feel the, the, the dukkha of it, the suffering of it is a real key to letting go too, right? So when um, teaching of the Buddha, he said, you know, someone came to him and said, like, how can I get rid of this, like, uh, feeling of, uh, like, revenge or this kind of anger? And he said, well, you know, if you actually felt that, if you were actually to really able to feel that directly, you wouldn't have to ask me because having the sense of revenge is like picking up, like, a red-hot iron coal to throw at someone else, right? So you think this is a good idea, but if you actually felt what it feels like in your hand, you would feel the burn and like you would drop it, right? And with something like that, it's true because you pick it up to throw it at someone else, but you might miss, right? But who does it definitely burn is you, right? It definitely burns you because you picked it up, right? Uh, so, so really dropping into the direct awareness of what that experience is like, like what that feeling is like with mindfulness, and then reflecting on the sort of skillful and skillful also. Thank you. Okay, so you said um, if you are thinking about being or being happy for people you maybe have difficulty with or don't like very much, and you see that they're happy, to try to be happy for them. But what if you know they're happy for doing something unskillful, like mm. taking somebody's job, and they delight, they're happy that they took somebody's job from them or something. How does that perpetuate good happiness? Yeah, if, if, it, if it is something that it seems like it's something unskillful that's happened, uh, then the quality of the happiness is usually a little different too, right? Uh, the quality of that person's happiness over uh, something unskillful, right? Like it feels different in the heart, right? So then it's true, it's not about sort of being happy for something really unskillful that they've done. 
Um, but actually you can sort of see that with compassion, like even seeing that whole situation of that person's done something unskillful, but they don't see that yet, so they think it's a great thing, right? Uh, so that you can have compassion for them for that uh, delusion of that, like that misunderstanding of that. I've just been sitting here pondering why in the world does misery love company? Like, mm. why is that? Why do we think it's a competition? <laughs> why, why is it that, like, when a friend of mine has something good, I feel left behind? Like, what is yeah. that? I don't, it doesn't really make any sense. Like you said, there's not a limited amount of happiness, but I even notice it sort of, I mean, this is kind of ridiculous. Um, like on Facebook, how people are always talking about like everything, you know, all the good things. And I just kind of feel a lot of times a little bit grumbly about it. Like, yeah. and I'm just like, where is that coming from? It just doesn't even. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good to investigate that. Like, where where is that coming from, right? And uh, well, what do you think? Have you looked at that? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else have this experience? Have any? Uh, <laughs> oh, um, I was just saying when my husband and I joke about it sometimes because we get holiday cards and it's like oh our kids are so busy and then it lists the six different activities and you know and then we went to X, Y, and Z and it's nice I think if you don't keep in touch with people but if you keep in touch with people it's not news yeah <laughs> I mean you know because you know they went to Hawaii last summer and you know their kids do ballet, piano and whatever and right yeah, but I feel like it's bad that I, I feel bad that I feel that way, but I do feel like it's braggy and but I feel bad that I feel that way. Because <laughs> I, I think it is, yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good to notice because in different cases it may come from different places. Um, I can relate to this a little bit in um, so my uh, college, uh, so I went to Harvard College, so they have a, you know, every five years a reunion and they write this book, like so everyone sends in what they did and da da da, right? And people have done, are doing amazing things, right, of, of different sorts. Um, but most people's entries are like, you know, Biff became partner in the law firm and da-da-da, right? <laughs> so, you know, like people don't write a lot like, um, you know, I was diagnosed as bipolar and, you know. <laughs> but like in a class of 1,600 people, you know that's happening. And, you know, it's like that's, that's part of the package. But actually, you know, I realize like I always do appreciate it, the rare occasions in which people do say something like that. So a, a friend of mine who I very much admire from uh, college wrote in, you know, about her life, and uh, she said, you know, uh, to be honest, one of the big things I've been dealing with for the last five years has been managing uh, my health because I've been HIV positive. And I know this isn't something that people usually talk about, but it honestly is like having a part-time job, and I feel like I've done a lot of work uh, in my professional life to do HIV education, so it's important for me also to come out here and say this, right? And there was just something very real about her being willing to say that and being willing to be present and authentic and you know, not sort of like press releases about things, uh, which is something just about who she is. You know, and she manifests that in her work and you know, even in her personal life in different ways. And a few people did things like, you know, they wrote like, my, my child is autistic and I just want to say that it's really difficult for me. And if anyone else has autistic child and wants to connect, email me, right? So sometimes it seems like there's some, for me, when, when I get that sense, like, oh, people are kind of glossing over, like it's not real. Um, but then also it's good to notice, like, when is it like, oh, maybe this is real for them, you know, and, and then what is it about 
me that's not allowing me to see that, connect with that, appreciate that, right? Like, does it come from some sense of there is limited happiness or, you know, uh, because uh, they had this really good thing happen, then that means it's less of a chance of it happening for me, right? Or something like that, right? Uh, so what's that about, right? So a lot of these, these Brahma Viharas, it also helps to kind of like expand for big picture, you know? Because in the small picture, it's like, yeah, this is a good thing is happening for this person, but... And then you can kind of project that out, like, oh, forever, everything good is happening to them, and here's the trajectory of their life, and here's the trajectory of my life, right? You know? Because <laughs> here's what my update looks like today. is like my 15-year-old car broke down, and, you know, I have a toothache, and, you know, like, like just down, 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 right? But neither are true, right? So neither are true. So neither is the everything is good all the time, but neither is the everything's bad all the time, right? And so having a sense of the bigger picture of life and that, uh, you know, the teaching of, of Lokodama, it's like everyone has gains and loss, praise and blame, pleasure and pain, fame, disrepute, right? And it's like the kaleidoscope is always shifting, always shifting, always shifting, right? Uh, you can see this when you reflect on like the, you know, even uh, stars, right? So like Tiger Woods, right? He was up and now he's down, right? And then <laughs> things could change. And, you know, it's just like always happening, these different things, right? Someone gets a lot of good things happen to them and then something difficult happens for them, right? So in the moment that we're like, oh, I don't like that this good thing happened, we're not seeing this bigger picture that like, yeah, this is right, right now what this person's life is, but it probably hasn't been everything and it's probably not going to be everything too, right? Not that we have to wish badly for them, but we just have to understand, hold it in the bigger context, right? So that comparing mind, the comparing mind is not something that leads towards happiness, right? But it's a, it's a habit of mind to constantly be comparing. Like, oh, you're up here and I'm down here. Or, you make this much and I make this much. Or, you know, uh, and it's the sense that like, oh, I'll be happy when I'm up here. But are you really, right? So the times when you're up here and someone else is down here, right? You still have to defend, right? And you have to see if there's anyone else coming up who's going to like bump you off your top slot, right? <laughs> so it's, it's not a very secure kind of happiness, right? So kind of sometimes opening to that bigger picture is like, okay, right now this is what their story is. And, you know, but... Who knows what's going to happen you know, next year, whatever, you know. I was thinking about what you were saying about being left behind. That really strikes me. It was yellow and now it's green. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, I don't know. Did you hear what I was saying? Um, so I was thinking about what I think the basis of envy is, which is, um, it's really like a drive. It taps into a drive to be like somebody else, not necessarily have what they have. And when I think about some of the teachings in here, um, the 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 drive to be like somebody else is a, a drive to belong, and that's really a survival thing. And that survival thing, it's it, that's. Uh, it's like a suffering to, to, um, uh, to constantly be uh, threatened by not of not belonging, and so I was thinking about some of the teachings in here, which um, to soothe that feeling of being left behind is um, to get in touch with the fact that we're not really separate, mm -hmm. even though there's that illusion of separateness or that threat of being separate. But, but the thing about uh, belonging is a craving to belong, but it's really out of survival. 
or the notion that you'll survive if you're really part of the group. But I think that's what happens when someone has something we don't have. It threatens the sense of, I don't belong. It's not just about what I don't have, it's about belonging. Mm -hmm. So I just, that struck me when you said that. All right, so, oh, one more, someone has a question. Um, I realize I do this now because I've noticed it, but um, I think you were talking about advertising and yeah, or sports teams or something, and I'm like, I think my mind used to always be like, oh, that's just kind of pop culture, and I'm not going to follow that, and I would kind of reject it, mm -hmm. um, which I see is not helpful. But you know, how do you kind of find equanimity around this kind of evilness almost you know that is in the world which evilness do you refer to <laughs> What's, no like that's in the world that like these messages that are mm. telling us that we're not going to be happy unless we have the truck or this or that yeah. I mean I just I, I know that rejecting it is not helpful mm -hmm. but it it's really I don't know I, I think my tendency is to kind of fight those things yeah, yeah. So this is a good segue to next week, which is on equanimity. <laughs> uh, but, you know, generally speaking, it's like, can we see through something and not have to hate it, right? Because it's delusion. I mean, it really is a manifestation of delusion. Um, you know, like, this is samsara. Like, this is this endless round of rebirth in which all these beings are taking birth and have these misunderstandings about who we are and what life is about and how we can be happy. And, you know, then war and advertising and, you know, uh, substance, like all these things are like manifestations of delusion in some ways, like on a larger scale, right? So it's like, how do we deal with that uh, in the world? Like, can we see that? And does the hating of it, you know, like, can we see it and see through it and, and not have to hate it per se, right? In the same way that it's like, um, you know, if there's a static on the radio or something, you know, it's like not saying anything. Uh, then can, we don't have to hate it, right? Can we, like, turn it down or, you know, something like that. But we'll talk more about that next week. Tune in next week for Equanimity, <laughs> the last of the Brahma Vihara. So we'll just sit for a moment and uh, share the blessings. So appreciating ourselves for coming here tonight and appreciating the Sangha, sharing in the reflections of the Dhamma and the teachings as they've come down to us of true human happiness. We share the blessings from our practice with everyone here and with all beings. May all beings be happy. May all beings be free from suffering. practice. You can continue to practice happiness this week. Uh, look for wagging dogs and skipping children. <laughs> and thank you also for your uh, contributions. I appreciate it too.